Caution. The contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. Now, last week we talked to Jaca, a duo of clarinetist and guitarist, Wesley Ferreira and Jackson Williams, and they are back today. Uh, their refreshingly original repertoire consists of new arrangements, compositions, and commissions that highlight the influences and mixing of many cultures and musical traditions worldwide. With a versatility uncommon to chamber music, their music regularly engages, inspires, and surprises audiences. It's classical music, but you wouldn't believe it, because their music is animated by socially conscious themes, constantly looking for ways to promote multiculturalism, commission new music, and help underserved musical communities worldwide. And we're excited to have them back on the show today. Wesley Ferreira and Jackson Williams, welcome back to the Coffee House. Oh, it's so good to be back. Good to be back. So last week, we talked a lot about how you use your music to promote cultural growth. But where exactly does that music for Jaca come from? Yeah, so, you know, early on, we discovered there wasn't very much already written for clarinet and guitar. There are some pieces uh, written at various periods in history, but we knew right away that what we wanted to do was to... Uh, promote the creation of new works for clarinet and guitar and also to make arrangements that we thought we thought would kind of spark our imagination but also the imagination of audiences yeah one of the first comments i always get when i tell people about jaca is like they go clarinet and guitar what a what an interesting what a weird combination and it's it's a combination people aren't as used to and we want to uh with our repertoire choice we want to make a space for this instrumentation that feels uh normal's not the right word but that feels like it belongs and we want to inspire future groups to want to play in this ensemble and we want to do the best we can to make it at least from a repertoire standpoint that there's music that people can play and, and listen to and enjoy and so we feel like it's kind of our duty to get out there and make more interesting engaging repertoire so we do that through arrangements we do that through commissions we do that we've even been writing our own music um, and almost everything we play was not originally written for guitar and clarinet at this point so let's talk a little bit more about the process that you guys go through how does somebody go about commissioning a piece of music and is there a standard step-by-step process to that i don't think there's a step-by-step process by any means everybody probably does it differently um, we do a, a couple of things. So one thing I think that's important for us is to keep a network of musicians around. And this is kind of like a, a living, thriving sort of network where, you know, you meet a composer or you, you have a friend who you work with who does this. And a lot of this happens too, while you're in school, you know, you, you might do this sort of this perennial relationship between composers and performers where you might play someone's piece. And then later on, they connect you with somebody who you'd like to commission and this and that. And it's a very sort of give and take ecosystem that I really like. And I think that gives way to the more professional ecosystem, which generally for us has consisted of uh, finding composers who align with the project that we want to work on. 
and then looking for the funding to create the commission. And most of the time that funding comes from a grant. And there's many grants out there and, and organizations that give out grants. And so then you want to put together a really solid uh, and like compelling grant narrative, uh, project narrative, and then you go out there and you just hustle to get the grant. And at the end of the day, we write a lot of grant proposals. Some of them win, some of them don't. And uh, slowly but surely, we build those projects. But that's usually how we go about the commissioning process, kind of bird's eye view. particular genre or subsection of music that you feel like is very underrepresented that you'd like to see more people commissioning in or feel like there's just not a thriving commissioning culture? Well, Jackson and I both um, enjoy listening to the same type of classical music, we'll say. Uh, And so we, we quickly identify, we have a really strong sense of which composers' voices we find compelling, um, that we're big fans of these composers. And so when, when we think about how we're going to uh, curate new music through commissioning, um, we've already identified composers that we just really love their compositional style and the way their music comes across. And, uh, you know, that gets us excited to work with that composer and to, you know, be a part of... Uh, the kind of the birth of this new type of music, we have thought a lot about how to play into the strengths of uh, Jackson and I as individual musicians, our backgrounds, but also the strengths of our instruments. We both have very versatile instruments. If you think about the guitar, the guitar is almost involved in every type of music, any every type of subset of music. Um, and also the clarinet is a very versatile instrument. Of course, people know it in the classical world, in jazz, in many, many folk styles. And so we've thought a lot about how we can put these instruments together that are very versatile and help to create these pieces that show off that versatility. Yeah, I think it's interesting, the idea of underrepresentation within classical music. And I think when you go to our instruments... They're sort of, if you personify their instruments, they're open-minded instruments. Uh, The classical guitar canon of repertoire is very open to other folk traditions, and uh, the clarinet is as well. And so I think both of us have, uh, as a result, come into looking at classical music with a much wider lens as what should be accepted inside of the classical sphere. And I think what it really boils down to is folk music. In some way, folk music is the root of everything. And then, you know, classical is always colored by historical context. So if there's anything that I feel is underrepresented, I would say it's folk music in general and the influences that uh, the contributions that it makes to classical music. And so we just try to kind of reverse engineer that and bring that back out. Let's go back to elements of folk music that are inside of classical music. Let's mix them together. And let's create something new from that, too, by mixing cultures and, and, and musics. And, you know, we have our own experience, and obviously we lean to that. We don't pretend to try to do something we can't do, but uh, we do definitely go deep into a lot of different styles. And it's awesome that you say that about folk music and that going into classical music. We talk about that so much here on The Coffee House with a lot of our Russian and Eastern European composers, um, a lot of our English composers as well, American composers, it's just folk music really is everywhere. So I'm glad that, you know, that's still holding true even here in the modern times. Absolutely. Definitely. 
so you guys have written your pieces, you've performed them, you've had your premiere, you've recorded your album. Now, once it's been written and performed, recorded by a comparatively lesser known or unknown organization such as yourself, how do you actually go about marketing, disseminating your music, your recordings, recordings to audiences? Because after all, the cultural heritage is what you're trying to bring to as many piece of people as possible. So I feel like... Um... Disseminating music recordings is completely different than it used to be. Uh, It's a totally new landscape. I I think it's rare, very rare, that a classical musician could make a a living or or money or sort of get any gain from releasing music online other than just building an audience. So, of course, we... uh, we have our you know music available online for people to listen to and it's you know essentially free on there watch a video of ours watch a performance listen to a recording enjoy it and uh we hope that that inspires you to come see us live or to just follow us and that's that's i think the goal these days of a music recording and it's just putting it out there and getting it to as many people as you can and then uh you know you have as well sort of these tokens of a concert when people come to see you live and that uh, could be, you know, we talked last week about the Jaca Cultural Exchange Program and how people could, you know, get items from different cultures and learn about cultures. Or, you know, they can get some of our merch or a recording as well. That's kind of another part of the experience of going to a concert. Um, but, it, you know, I think it's a very different landscape. The disseminating your music recordings, it's not like it used to be where, you know, you just sign with a label, they distribute it. People might even find you that hadn't found you before. Now you have to be hunting around online and it's mostly just for the purpose of getting people to then follow you and follow your journey, which, you know, I'm not complaining about it. I think, I think it's beautiful in a lot of ways. And the important thing is to get the music out. You mentioned you sign, signing with a label on some of those albums that they handle some of that nuts and bolts for you. Yeah, they will. The label will help to promote you. And the thing is, and we all know this, there's just so much choice out there in terms of forms of entertainment, things that you can be involved in. And increasingly, we're living in a really, really busy, busy world. So to to really stand out, um, both as an ensemble or in terms of having a, a piece of music stand out, I think it really has to, and we all understand this, this kind of viral thing about it and sometimes we don't understand like why does anything become viral i think it has a lot to do where it just connects with people it connects with people's imagination and from the very beginning something jackson and i have have always uh, talked about openly or we just have a really strong sense of is you know is this piece something that people enjoy and so very early on when we were crafting our concert sets we would often talk to the audience members uh, following the concert we would actively seek out which pieces did you like best uh, which ones were not the most engaging and we would get that feedback and so I think we become really attuned both in our deciding which pieces to arrange deciding which composers we might like to work with and and trusting that their music is as i was mentioning kind of excites the imagination and will take hold with people and other people will like them and even increasingly in our own compositions where you know we're really trying to find that thing that um connects with people because truly for any type of music to gain wider uh, audience or wider acceptance it has to have that unexplainable thing doesn't it that uh, you, you really you want to hear it a few more times. It, it gets you excited in that moment of your day. Um, that's something we really think about. I think that's one ingredient that um, 
is sometimes hard to find is uh, you can't really plan for it, but uh, we do our best to, to be thinking about that. We mentioned Jaka is a little bit of a smaller organization. Is your ultimate goal, though, to become more well-known through getting people to follow your journey and, and listen to your music? Are you hoping that you'll really hit it big, or do you kind of want to keep it more close-knit and niche? I think uh, everybody wants to be more well-known, for sure. But I think it might be a bad idea to start your journey with the exclusive goal of being well-known, because you might miss some important parts of the journey and the process. I think what we're, what yeah. we're concerned about right now is doing is making a, an important contribution to music uh, and to our sector and to the instrumentation. Uh, we're really concerned with having great concerts the, and, and improving the, the quality of the concerts that we're getting um, because we are a relatively new group at this point. Uh, we've only been around for a few years, so we're still... You know, in the classical world, it can take even a full decade for a group to really get a footing sometimes. And that's... Or as we've seen, past lifetimes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, at the end of the day, we think that, at least I think, uh, and I think Wesley would agree, that by making a good contribution musically, uh, in fact, Wesley was just talking about it, you know, having that certain spark, that something that's uh, engaging to other people, the, the being well-known will take care of itself at that point. So that would be a measure of success in other musical areas. And I think that's what we're most concerned with is let's make a musical contribution that's valuable. Yeah, you know, Jackson, we were just talking about this the other day, I recall, about how from time to time we'll hear from people who um, follow us, from people who enjoy our work, and they'll reach out. And we're always really pleased to hear that feedback, but almost taken by surprise. You know, we might hear oh, you guys are one of the more exciting groups that I've heard out there. And we're always like, oh, oh, that's fantastic. You know, we don't really, uh, from a kind of week-to-week basis, think that big picture. We're not we're not thinking so long-term and, and crafting what we do with the sole purpose of becoming a big group. We're really committed to uh, being really creative in our process from putting a great quality uh, product um, out there. And then, you know, I think we really believe it. that type of thing will take care of itself, whether uh, we, we become more well-known, uh, which as Jackson said, yes, of course, every, every performing group wants to reach a wider audience. But, you know, we feel really, really happy with the work that we're doing and, and the constant work that we're doing, and we're going to continue doing it. And, uh, uh, it fulfills us, and we're just so increasingly happy when we find that it, it, it fulfills others, too. Well, that is excellent. So let's pivot a little bit for a moment. Um, as musicians, we've all at some point or another experienced both chamber ensembles and large ensemble playing. And as musicians, we know there is a much different feeling and dynamic to each type of ensemble. So we wanted to ask you a little bit about that. Are you able to sum up what it's like playing in a chamber setting with in the case of Jaka, just one other person versus what it's like playing with a whole band or an orchestra. Yeah, I think Jackson and I probably have both experienced um, everything from solo playing to playing in large <laughs> groups. And uh, there's something so special about playing in a smaller chamber group, I would say. So anything with probably four players down to two. There's something uh, amazing that happens. Uh, there's kind of a unified flow 
that both performers get into when uh, you know, the performance and the music is at its best. It's, you know, communication without the words. It's truly communication through music. And you're saying things to each other and there's an interaction between the two and there's all this that's unsaid, but that's understood. It, it's one of the things that I think caught our imagination between Jackson and I that kind of happened instantly and the the longer we've played together the more experiences we've had musically together the more we explore that and uh you know we've we're so pleased to hear from our audiences that they're feeling that too they not only see it visually on the stage but that they're hearing it so it's, it is actually such a such a, a magical thing yeah, um, I could offer the inverse perspective because while I have played with a lot of larger ensembles, guitar often is not like you know orchest- traditional orchestral instruments. We don't do we don't have as much experience with large ensembles. So large ensembles for me is always like a rarity when I'm playing in one because um, it's often just solo, 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 and then a couple of chamber things. But what I uh, what I love is the communication without words, like Wesley was saying. I love that. It's so fun. You get to, you when you really know another musician well, and it's like, you know, just two musicians like that, you you can almost feel uh, like how the other person's feeling in that moment through the music. They can pump you up when they do, like, I don't know, they take a risk and it goes well right on stage. You're like, yes, we're doing it. We're taking risks. Let's do this. Uh, and just, it's just so fun. Uh, there's this energy that you can really feel. And I, I love the idea that it's just, it's really is communication without words. And sometimes, you know, as a soloist, you get um, so in your own head that it's, it's a very sort of insular and internal introverted experience that it's really fun to have this outward facing experience where you're sharing with somebody else what you emit to the audience. I think that's like super fun. You talked about uh, risks, I think. Are, are there any particular challenges for your particular instrumentation? I think every instrumentation has its limitations as well. Every instrument has um, their own color and their own way of playing. And one of the things that Jackson and I try to do with our instruments is really try to stretch the boundaries of what our instruments can do inevitably when you're trying to stretch those boundaries you run into potential limitations right you know like a clarinet as much as i wanted to sometimes just won't sound like a trumpet or it just won't you know it just won't sound like um you know like a violin so there are those limitations but that's when it comes down to then you know really crafting and finding out what music what repertoire really works for us and we've done a lot of thinking about that uh so in terms of the the music the musical aspects of our instruments i think naturally you're going to find certain limitations we do try to push those though i mean just just to give you an idea we're working on a piece right now just just a couple of things that it involves me taking a plastic pen covering it in violin rosin and playing the strings like a bow as well as drumming on the strings like a dulcimer. Wesley takes his clarinet apart and plays just a piece of like every single piece by itself. So, you know, we're looking at pushing those limits and those are some of the risks that we take in the process too, is like uh, creatively, what, what can, what boundaries can we push and will this actually work? So. And will I be able to reassemble my instrument after it? Yeah. 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 Right. Put all those pieces back together. 
And if our coffeehouse listeners are interested in sort of a taste of this, there is a video of you guys up on YouTube where uh, you, Wesley, are beatboxing on the clarinet. And that oh, yeah, that's right. It's kind of a little bit of that taste of the extended technique. Yeah, we're, we're really exploring that. You know, the beatboxing in the flute world is, is kind of become a big thing, but really you can't find it in the clarinet world. Partly it's, again, the limitations of the clarinet. It's, it's, it's much more difficult to play a standard note on the clarinet and also make the beatbox sound at the same time. It's much easier to get that pitch and the beatbox sound at the same time on the flute. But, you know, I'm really exploring that, uh, because I'm, I'm able to do that beatboxing. So, you know, that video that the listeners will find on our YouTube channel was uh, from a retreat that we had this summer. We went to this really remote part of uh, Utah where there was like no internet access, no phone. We were in this like grain, uh, converted granary that turned into like a, a <laughs> cabin. really just a cabin. It was called and, the tin can. <laughs> yes, the tin can. And we just, just had this like... Idea. We had this full week of just immersing ourselves in music and experimenting, and that's what came out of it. And so, you know, we're really excited to see where we can take that. And speaking of your YouTube channel, you have a lot of different settings that are kind of showcased there in your backgrounds from concert halls to it seems like actual streets. Um, Do you have a favorite setting to perform in? And if so, what about it makes it your favorite? That's a tough one. I think uh, a setting for me, for me personally, the setting honestly does not matter. You could be playing, you know, in someone's bedroom for like, uh, who knows what. You could be playing in a in a in a barn, <laughs> and it just doesn't really matter. What matters, I think, more for me is the audience and their their reaction. I really, I think we both really feed off of audience energy, and if we get the right audience. And they uh, encourage us to bring out that side of us. Then we'll really put on a show because it's it, it, we have a lot of fun with it. And that's that in the end becomes the favorite setting. Yeah, we don't really. Th- I don't think we've really ever talked about settings. I mean, there's for a musician, of course, it, it's you know to kind of be all encompassing, having a, a beautiful setting, and um, uh, that always feels good. One with good acoustics that always feel good. But but I would agree with Jackson. It's it really doesn't matter where we play. What's what's most important is is again that connection uh, with other human beings. I mean that's that's the key thing because I think if you were to uh, have a musician perform a concert for no one in the most beautiful setting in the world, beautiful concert hall, they might enjoy that, but I think it'll feel empty. It'll bring them much more fulfillment and joy if they're playing in any type of setting, but with an audience that's really appreciative and really. Uh, really listening and understanding what what you're communicating musically definitely i think one of my most memorable concerts allison you'll remember this too uh was playing in the rain in a gazebo yep. uh, with our with our quartet probably one of the worst settings physically <laughs> but definitely the most memorable concert yeah, that's that i've played mm-hmm. So from a, from an academic perspective, um, playing in chamber music, what are some special skills that are required for or developed through playing in a chamber ensemble like yours? Oh, there's just so much, you know, uh, developing your ears is such a great result of playing with other musicians, understanding timing and pulse, uh, making sure you're on top of your own 
sense of timing, but also understanding someone else's and fitting that together. Um, there, as I mentioned, using your ears, what do we use our ears for? Well, we're, we're thinking about balancing instruments at time, understanding when you need to take the lead and you need to be in the, you know, kind of come back a little bit. Um, you know, the different colors that you can make in a combined sound, but also changing your own colors to suit the need of the music in the context of, of the chamber ensemble. Uh, there's just so much, isn't there, Jackson? Ooh, yeah, that, that pretty much covers it. Uh, I would say, too, even just uh, life skills, um, you learn to be responsible and sort of have a sense of accountability to another person and to make sure you you get things ready in time and um, a lot of important life skills. And you'll see you'll see full on chamber ensembles make or break from, you know, the the misalignment of those life skills sometimes. Absolutely. So thank you once again to both of you for joining us for this second episode of Jaka and to learn about chamber music this time. Um, just in case people had missed it last time, please tell us how they can find you so that they can experience more of your wonderful chamber playing. Well, first and foremost, you can always find us on social media. I mean, you know, hey, we're in a global pandemic and there aren't that many live concerts to catch us at. So you can always know what's going on virtually if you follow us on social media. We're pretty active on Instagram. That's uh, our handles, Follow Jaka. We're also uploading videos on YouTube quite a bit. YouTube slash Follow Jaka. Um, if you're still on Facebook, there's Facebook as well. Follow Jaka. So basically everywhere, Follow Jaka. Follow us. <laughs> That's an <Do> order. <laughs> <laughs> and what kind of stuff are you working on that our listeners might be able to catch? Yeah, well, we're really excited. Um, on January 31st, we had our deadline for our Emerging Composers competition. This is a new initiative where we're really encouraging uh, young composers to write for the clarinet guitar. We're going to be working with them. We're going to be selecting winners, and we'll be announcing those just a little after March 31st. Uh, we're going to be working with those composers, performing those pieces. Those pieces will be published. So that's immediately the next thing that uh, we'll be thinking about. And then moving forward, uh, I think the whole world is excited to, uh, you know, get vaccines going and to try to return to some normalcy. And, you know, we had a number of concerts that were canceled in 2020 that we will, uh, we're expecting to be able to go back to and, and to be performing at some uh, festivals internationally, some concerts uh, in the United States. And so uh, I think we're just ca crossing our fingers and hoping that uh, we'll get back to those sooner rather than later. I think I'm very excited to see that uh, live music return. I think we all are. Oh, yeah. Yes, and hopefully we can all catch a Jaka performance sometime in the future. Yeah, stay connected sure. with us. Wesley Ferreira, Jackson Williams, Jaka, thank you both very, very much for coming on today. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. We're great fans of your show, too. So, uh, you know, keep doing great work out there yourselves. Well, thanks. I'll, Thank you so much. I'll make a, I'll make a note to make it good. <laughs> <laughs> and listeners, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, uh, please go ahead and drop us a follow on Spotify if you're listening there. A like or review on iTunes or Google Music or Google Podcasts is always appreciated as well. And definitely share us with a like-minded friend. For the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. I'm Allison. I'm Jackson. I'm Wesley. And thank you so much for listening. Pedro Caldera Cabral's Miscellanea 
Balada de Oliveira and Danca Portuguesas and Eric Satie's Gymnopé No. 1 were arranged and performed by Jaca. You can find The Coffee House on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com.